From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. On Wednesday, all statewide mandates intended to slow the spread of COVID-19 will come to an end, Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced last week. Businesses will be allowed to open at 100% capacity, and residents will not be required to wear masks in public, although businesses can still implement their own mask policies, and the governor encouraged people to continue to wear them. The decision comes as at the national level, Congress is working to pass a third COVID-19 relief bill. The House passed its bill in an early morning vote February 26th. Meanwhile, the Senate is amending its bill now. The House would then have to vote again on a Senate bill before it goes to President Biden's desk. There is a push to get relief done quickly as some key unemployment programs expire March 14th. And finally, there is a new push to get vaccines out quickly, especially in Texas, as statewide mandates are set to end. FEMA has opened two vaccination sites in North Texas, one at Globe Life Field in Arlington, and one at Fair Park in Dallas. Those will both target harder-to-reach communities. To cover all of these elements related to the pandemic, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers this week are joined by State Representative Chris Turner, a Democrat from Arlington, the Dallas Morning News Washington Bureau Chief Todd Gilman, and Dallas City Council member Casey Thomas. Last week, Abbott said it was time to open Texas 100%, making the announcement at a restaurant in Lubbock last Tuesday. His new executive order also removes the ability for local authorities to impose mask mandates unless hospitalizations related to the virus reach numbers Texas saw following Thanksgiving. While it's true the number of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations reported daily in Texas have declined steadily since the January high, the numbers are still at levels similar to where they were last summer, when Abbott issued his most wide-ranging executive order ahead of the 4th of July weekend. Through Friday, less than 8% of Texans were fully vaccinated. When I made my presentation rolling out the program, uh, I repeatedly said uh, that it is very important for Texans to continue to wear a mask. Uh, our health care providers and leaders in the state of Texas are sending the same message. I'm sending that message right now uh, that Texans should continue to wear a mask. The difference is that... For a year now, Texans, as well as Americans, have learned that the safe standard, among other things, is to wear a mask. Because they know that standard, do they really need the state to tell them what they already know for their own personal behavior? Chris Turner represents the state's 101st House District, which includes large portions of Arlington and Grand Prairie. Turner is the chair of the House Democratic Caucus and raised concerns after Abbott's announcement. Here he is with Julian Gromer. Thanks so much for being here, Representative. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Let's begin with the state mandates ending this week. Your reaction? Yeah, well, it was a terrible mistake. Um, you know, Governor Abbott uh, has a responsibility to lead and to make the tough decisions uh, in order to protect uh, Texans and to protect Texans' lives and protect Texans' health. Um, and he has failed. Um, you know, he, he's he, he's not had a strong performance at all throughout this pandemic. His his decision-making has been weak, it's been slow, it's been very confusing at times. Um, but to, uh, you know, get rid of the, the mask uh, requirement this week uh, at a time when we're just starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and clearly masks are, are working, are helping slow the spread of the disease. Um, it's the precise wrong time to do this because uh, while I agree vaccinations are our way out of this, and I can't wait for the time when all of us can be vaccinated. Right now, less than 10% of Texans have been fully vaccinated. So more than nine out of 10 Texans 
uh, do not are not yet protected against COVID-19, this is the wrong time to, to, to say stop wearing a mask. Representative, are you concerned about the essential workers, you know, like people in grocery stores and restaurants who will be exposed to people who won't wear masks and they could be at risk of getting sick? Grover, I absolutely uh, am concerned about about those frontline uh, employees, um, and, and I, you know, I really commend the uh, companies uh, like Costco and Kroger, uh, Walmart, and others who've said that they intend to continue uh, requiring masks to be worn in their stores by employees and customers. Um, but obviously, not every business is going to do that. And uh, what I'm also worried about is that even for businesses who do require it, they're going to be dealing with. Uh, occasionally irate customers who say that, no, the governor said, I don't have to wear a mask, so I'm not going to wear one. That's putting those employees, many of whom make minimum wage, uh, in a very, very difficult position. Um, and so, again, it's just another example of failed leadership from the governor at a time we need the governor to lead. Counties really do have no recourse here unless hospitalizations hit 15%. So really, what is the best course of action? And you just touched on this. If businesses and lawmakers want people to continue to wear masks. Well, what I'm telling my constituents and what I would tell all of my fellow Texans um, is it's up to all of us to do the right thing. It's to listen to the science, listen to the doctors, continue to wear a mask until uh, leading infectious disease experts like Dr. Fauci and others say that we don't have to do that anymore. Don't listen to Governor Abbott. Uh, the Governor Abbott is playing politics. He's putting politics over people's health and people's lives. Uh, and so people just shouldn't listen to him. People should continue to wear a mask uh, and practice, practice the best uh, health practices that they can uh, until this pandemic is behind us and we're not there yet. Speaking of vaccines, Texas is seeing more vaccines come into the state. Uh, your reaction to uh, the Biden administration's vaccine plan, which seems to be ahead of schedule. Well, it, it certainly does. I think that uh, President Biden laid out a, an ambitious goal before he took office of 100 uh, million uh, vaccines in the first 100 days. Uh, and they are on track to exceed that number, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, we've seen certainly a market increase in the number of vaccines coming into Texas. Uh, the addition of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine here recently is going to add to that. Um, and we're certainly very grateful for the additional FEMA uh, si vaccine sites that we have here in North Texas at uh, AT or at Globe Life Field, rather, in Arlington and at uh, Stafer Park in Dallas. Um, but what's important is that uh, the state not reduce uh, our North Texas's vaccine allocations because we have the FEMA sites. And members of the delegation House and Senate had to go to the Department of State Health Services and urge them to restore vaccines to Dallas and Tarrant counties. Uh, we're still not back where we need to be, so we need more vaccines still in our in our area from the state. Uh, but we're very appreciative of President Biden's leadership and his administration's leadership in getting more vaccines out to all of America. There have been several hearings in the past few weeks regarding the winter storm and power outages. How confident are you that the legislature will come up with something to make sure this doesn't happen again? Well, I think that this is this has become the issue of the session now, and, and right next to COVID-19 and how we how we respond to the pandemic, uh, because uh, obviously we have more than four million Texas households without power. Uh, at one point, more than 14 million Texans uh, didn't have safe drinking water in their homes. It's simply unacceptable. Um, and, and I think you know, uh, to touch on the mask uh, news again from this week, you know, Governor Abbott, who was 
very transparent, was trying to change the subject from his failures during the winter storm, uh, because uh, that storm, uh, we should have been better prepared for it. Uh, and, and the fact that the, the state government was caught totally uh, off balance and had no idea that we were going to experience the sustained power outages we did is a real failure of leadership on part of the governor and his appointees, the Public Utility Commission. So I think the legislature uh, needs to do several things. I think we've got to look at how we ensure that there's adequate generation uh, in future severe weather events. We have to uh, enhance the regulatory oversight of the Public Utility Commission because they failed badly. Um, and, uh, and we've got to make sure that uh, Texans don't get huge, uh, huge bills uh, when there's a spike in wholesale electricity prices. One of the reasons I filed a bill to ban variable rate plans uh, going forward for, for residential customers. So there's a lot we have to do here in the next few months. Representative, you talk about the state taking the blame. Do you think the legislature should take a part of the blame? In 2011, there was a storm and there were recommendations and there was really no legislation with teeth. So does, does the legislature need to look inward as well? Absolutely. I think that's absolutely right, Julie. I think that the legislature does bear part of the blame here because the legislature uh, in 2011, as you said, uh, did not adopt uh, the federal recommendations from that from from that event to require weatherization and some other things with respect to uh, generation plants. Uh, and so, ten years later, we have uh, a much worse catastrophe take place. Uh, I will say that the legislature in 2013 did, in the Public Utility Commission, provide additional oversight responsibilities to the PUC to oversee ERCOT, uh, and the PUC failed in that regard. Uh, so I think that there's certainly uh, everyone needs to do a better job and everyone that certainly deserves uh, an amount of the blame for, for this terrible catastrophe that can never be allowed to happen again. State Representative Chris Turner, as always, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Next Sunday, several key coronavirus relief benefits, including enhanced unemployment payments, are set to expire. As we mentioned earlier, Congress is close to passing a third round of relief with eyes on that March 14th deadline. More than 10 million people in the U.S. are out of work and 18 million are receiving some form of unemployment. Todd Gilman, the Washington bureau chief for the Dallas Morning News, is following the relief bill, plus what the response has been nationally to two Texas politicians, Senator Ted Cruz and Governor Greg Abbott, after the former's trip to Cancun during the statewide power outage and the latter's decision to lift state mandates. Here's Todd with Julian Gromer. One of our regulars is here, so thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Big week for the Biden administration with an additional vaccine and more rollouts. The president also announced there should be enough vaccines for everyone who wants them by the end of the May. How does he ensure that happens? Well, he's got to keep the pressure on. He's got to keep the pressure on. Uh, a lot of federal agencies and, and governors to make sure that the rollout goes as smoothly and quickly as possible. It's a, it's a bit of a heavy lift. Um, he, he did benefit from a lot of work that was done under the, the Trump administration, um, but he's also being a, a lot more aggressive and thoughtful about making sure that um, 
all of all of the T's are crossed. I mean, one of the things that he has complained about is there was Operation Warp Speed, which got the vaccines created, which was awesome and almost miraculous, but they really didn't pay close enough attention to the rollout. How do you get those vaccines into the arms of Americans? And I know in, in Washington and, and in Texas, you know, there are a lot more people who want the vaccines than can get them. And there are stockpiles of actual vaccines that, uh, People wish they could get an appointment, and, and they can't. Well, uh, Professor Dr. Gilman, let's uh, let's talk about the COVID relief package uh, that appears to be mostly down party lines. What does this mean for President Biden? As you know, Todd, he says he wants to work with Republicans on these big issues. Well, like like any president, pretty much any president. Uh, he says he wants to work cross party lines. He wants to have a collaborative, cooperative environment in Washington, but he also wants to win, uh, not just because winning enhances your political capital and helps you win the next fight too, but because it's part of his agenda. Uh, so he'll take the win over uh, a bipartisan vote any day of the week. Um, it hobbles him in the sense that it feeds into the Republican narrative, which they have been really escalating, that this guy is is full of hot air when he talks about wanting to have uh, a bipartisan lower temperature in Washington. Uh, the way Republicans defeated uh, Neera Tandon, his pick for, uh, for budget director, because of her mean tweets, which was really an astonishing complaint after they had turned a blind eye for four years to all of President Trump's mean tweets. But the way they did that was to say, hey, Biden's the one who said he wanted to elevate the conversation in Washington. So by his own standards, he's fallen short. Same deal with, with the COVID relief bill. Um, it's also interesting to, to see so many Republicans complaining that what's going on in this bill uh, $1.9 trillion is what, what was the main conversation, is too expensive. It's going to run up the debt way too much when that complaint was very, very muted during the Trump years. So we're all kind of adjusting and, and we're seeing an enormous amount of hypocrisy and uh, changing where the bar is set. Um, but it is also the case that Republicans have a legitimate set of complaints about a bunch of pork barrel spending that was stuffed into this bill, uh, a bridge between New York State and Canada, uh, a very expensive tunnel project in Nancy Pelosi's district in California. These are not COVID relief projects per se. I mean, I guess you could say that anything that encourages economic activity is helpful as we come out of this. Um, but, you know, there there were legitimate arguments to be had on both sides. Governor Greg Abbott is taking a hit nationally for ending state mandates. He still polls very well here in Texas. But how does this all impact his political future? You know, he's he's looking over his shoulder and you guys are more on the ground than I am in Texas and know more about this. But, you know, he his his biggest problem, at least immediately, is from the right wing. Uh, his next political fight, election fight, is going to be in a primary, and he cannot afford to be the governor of Texas Republicans who continued the nanny state, uh, you know, kind of playing double advocate, who continued to push this nanny state idea of mask mandates when, by God, we're Texans and, and we have free will and we don't want the jackboot of government around our neck telling us we have to do this or not do that. Um, the, the proof is going to be in 
the positivity rates and the death rates in coming weeks and months and how Texas stacks up. Texas is an enormous state, obviously. Um, it has these vaccine super centers, but it is also uh, the last I checked ranking 30, uh, I'm sorry, 48th per capita in the rate of vaccination. Um, that's not a good place to be in a state that has had so many cases and so many deaths. So, you know, if it works out and, and uh, businesses continue to enforce their own voluntary mask mandates uh, for their customers and their workers, and if people social distance voluntarily because they pay attention to the public health advice in a way that Governor Abbott didn't when he revoked the mask mandate, then maybe everything will be okay. And obviously we all hope that it will be okay. But, you know, if, if heaven forbid, you know, we go through an enormous spike because all of a sudden people are filling the seats at Rangers games and at their local bar, uh, that that is not going to be good on his resume. And Texas Senator Ted Cruz, he's also taken some hits nationally for his trip to Cancun, yet he was very well received in the CPAC convention. Do you think his trip, along with his objections to some states' certifications, will affect his political future in the short time we have left? With that long so question... I would, I I would definitely differentiate between the people who go to CPAC, which are the hardest core Trumpists, um, and the vast majority of Americans. Now, Cruz's immediate problem and, and challenge is he wants to win the 2024 Republican primary for president unless Trump runs. Uh, but the way he does that is to be Trumpy. And, uh, you know, the Cancun thing was a huge mistake. It reflected a mindset that as a U.S. senator, what could he possibly do, which uh, Beto O'Rourke and others showed that you don't even have to have official levers of power to be helpful in a crisis like the, 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 the power outages in Texas. Big, big problem for Cruz. But, um, you know, in the CPAC crowd, they still love him because he's very conservative and he has stuck with President Trump. Todd Gilman, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Professor. Finally, we move on to vaccines. Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins said Thursday more than 108,000 people had been vaccinated at the Fair Park site since it opened in January. That site is one of two in North Texas now run by FEMA with a priority on hard-to-reach communities for the vaccine. And at least parts of a few of those fall into Dallas's third city council district, represented by Casey Thomas. Here's the councilman with Julian Groman. First of all, councilman, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for the invitation. We're starting to see more vaccines come into Dallas County, but let's talk about where they're being distributed. I think we definitely got, have to do a much better job of making sure those who are uh, living those zip codes most impacted. If it wasn't for the FEMA site, uh, we would really, really be doing this in an unequitable manner. Um, every means that we can get, the more vaccines that we can get, the more communication between the county and the city we can have, uh, the better chance that we'll have to make sure those who need the vaccines the most. You know, the thing that disturbed me about it was we went through the same exact process when we were trying to get testing sites set up. I would have thought that in preparation for the vaccine, we would have been, uh, as the county, further down the road in terms of what that strategy would be when we had access to the vaccines, but we're seeing the same exact challenges that we had when it came to getting testing sites. Now, 
You can get tested on any corner in Oak Cliff, in Southern Dallas. We want that same access when it comes to vaccine. Councilman, how have you been dealing with the reluctance of some people in communities of color to get the vaccine because of historic, you know, racism when it when it came to previous situations like this? What have you been saying to, to people in your community to get them to trust that this vaccine is safe and should be taken? Well, the key is finding trusted voices, um, community leaders, neighborhood leaders, community organizers, faith leaders, uh, elected officials uh, of color who can actually, one, take the vaccine, lead by example, take the vaccine. I'm fully vaccinated. I posted my first and second those photo on my um, social media and encouraging others to do the same thing. One of the most effective things we had was we hosted a focus group live on all of the city of Dallas's uh, social media uh, channel. We had faith leaders, we had neighborhood leaders, community leaders, we had black uh, doctors, black nurses, and we all just had a conversation about the vaccine, the black medical professional were able to talk about the vaccine, what's in the vaccine, why it's safe. And we showed that and we have it on the city's website and it has made a tremendous difference for those who watched it, those who shared it. So we have to get people who can lead by example and then go out and tell people, yes, not only is it safe, I've gotten the vaccine myself. The numbers you're seeing in overall, there are more vaccines coming this is happening, of course, at a time when the mask mandate is about to be lifted in all of the state of Texas. Yes, it was very disappointing. Uh, matter of fact, I think we were in council meeting when he had the uh, when the governor made that announcement. It was very disappointing. It seemed more like a campaign rally than anything else. So you know, we can't allow we can't put politics over public health. We've seen the consequences of that under the former president administration, when across the country you had states that he said, you need to open up and they opened up. And then we saw an outbreak of cases. We're right around the corner from spring break. I foresee that we're gonna have an outbreak and increase of positive cases. And so what are we gonna do then? So one, we have to get as many vaccines out into communities, especially those who are most impacted as possible. And then two, we have to continue and ramp up the testing that's being done. I'm organizing elected officials, community leaders, uh, faith leaders. We're all around having veg, uh, registration, vaccine registration uh, events to sign people up for the vaccine. We know that we did not have, we barely had enough names in those 17 targeted zip codes. We had 18,000, we had 3,000 vaccines at the FEMA site a day. By day seven, we knew if we didn't add one more name that we were going to exhaust that list and then the county would have to go back to its original list. We can't afford that. We're setting up phone banks. We're setting uh, drive-up events. We have a sense of urgency about getting people, especially those in those 17 targeted zip codes, signed up. The challenge has been scheduling. I've shared this with Dr. Wong. I've shared it with the county judge. We've got people who signed up early who still have not received 
a notification to get their appointment. There's a new system, but they haven't integrated those who signed up under the old system with the new system. There's a lot of frustration. I'm getting Facebook messages, inbox, text messages, email. My friend or I signed up five weeks ago, and I have not gotten my appointment yet. Dr. Wong has rolled up his sleeves, and he's personally working with me on getting some of these individuals signed up, and they get their appointment in no time. And they're in, they get the first vaccine, and they're waiting for the second one. I'm glad you brought up the frustration with with the scheduling appointments and, and all of that, because to me, that's one of the big issues in, in, in getting people to actually try to participate. You know what I mean? If they feel like it's, it's a headache, then maybe they won't do it. But tell me this, as we come out of the pandemic, what's the city doing to make small businesses or businesses that have been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic whole? Well, one of the first things we did and uh, I think our, our mayor appointed me chair of an economic recovery ad hoc committee. And one of the first things we did was got with city staff on developing a small business continuity fund. It was very successful. It was targeted. Uh, now we're in round two of individuals applying for access to that fund. This is a means to provide some type of financial assistance. We want to continue to provide that support. We're hoping that they will, you know, see wisdom and requiring the customers as they come in to wear masks because as we provide financial support and we're expecting hopefully the next two or three weeks uh, the federal government will pass the bill. I know the Senate today should be uh, hopefully voting on it before the end of the day and that way the president uh, hopefully the next couple of weeks can sign it, get the money out the door so we can create more opportunities for more funding make more funding available to some of our small and local businesses, especially those businesses of color who have been impacted by it. Councilman, we totally appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure's all mine. Look forward to doing it again. Now, on top of the pandemic, NBC5 is still keeping an eye on the fallout from the power crisis that impacted nearly the entire state. Just last week, the chair of the Texas Public Utility Commission resigned and ERCOT fired its president and CEO. For the latest developments surrounding efforts in the state legislature to make sure an outage like that doesn't happen again, visit NBCDFW.com. You can also check out last week's episode of Lone Star Politics. We talked to State Senator Kelly Hancock, who chairs the Senate Business and Commerce Committee, and NBC5 investigates Scott Friedman, who's been digging into the outages from the moment the power went out. Also, if you have a few extra seconds, please rate, review, and subscribe. Those little things go a long way in helping us grow the show. Thanks to State Representative Chris Turner, Todd Gilman, and Dallas City Council Member Casey Thomas for joining us this week. You can stay up to date with everything related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.